Special guest with us, uh, Mickey Walker is a missionary with Operation Mobilization. We have a number of missionaries here at our church that we support with Operation Mobilization, and and uh, I guarantee you they all know Mickey Walker. Mickey is uh, truly a living legend in the missions community, and uh, we are really blessed to have him here. My dad first met Mickey when he was 21 years old in Beirut, Lebanon. You remember that? In fact, I was reading through some of my dad's memoirs uh, last night, and uh, he talks about meeting a longtime friend, Mickey Walker, there in Beirut. And uh, Mickey and his family, Kathleen, and nine children, right? Six. Six, I'm sorry, six children. <laughs> they got some grandchildren now, though. That's where you're throwing me off. But uh, you guys, have, they've lived all over the world and have some incredible stories of, uh, of uh, ministering all over the world. I think Mickey's been in jail in more countries than anybody I know. Uh, over the years for, uh, for sharing the gospel and things. But uh, Mickey's a street preacher, and uh, he ministers over in, uh, in Ireland and all over in, uh, in Europe. And if you're ever over in Europe and you see uh, a guy who looks like Santa Claus on the street corner with a sketchboard, it's very likely uh, my friend Mickey Walker. So make sure to go up and say hello. But uh, Mickey's going to bring a great message to us this morning. And uh, just love you, buddy. Glad you're here. Excited to introduce you to my friends here at Lakes Free. So give Mickey a warm greeting as he comes to share with us this morning. Thanks. It really is good to be here. And as uh, Jason said, this all began back in about 1971 when Ron and I became friends. Um, we were working in Lebanon and uh, he came through with a little Youth for Christ team. And, uh, and we just became, we just clicked. Um, both had a heart for the gospel and you know, got to know one another. And then over the years, I had the privilege of working with Ron in various places. He, he would call and say, look, I'm going to Cuba. Would you like to go? And uh, there's a lot of places I haven't been, but there's no place I don't want to go, you know. And um, when Ron said, let's go. So I went to Cuba a couple times with him and Russia and Sweden. And uh, we had great old times. Um, in Russia, one time we wanted to fly over Nizhny Novgorod, and they had this helicopter ride. It looked like an old, um, an old guppy, World War One or maybe pre World War One helicopter. And when it filled up with, <laughs> when it filled up with tourists, then he'd take off and we'd, we'd go over the city, you know. But we couldn't wait, so Ron just paid the guy, and he and I flew around the city, just the two of us, and. Um, Oh, I have so many stories. My kids loved Ron because I had him come to Ireland one time and he, he um, after he spoke, he said, come on, let's go eat lunch. So we went to a pizza place. And usually, I mean, we went to pizza places. But when you have six kids, you know, you get one pizza, you divide it up and, and lots of water and stuff. And uh, <laughs> so, but not Ron. You know, so he said, what do you want, kids? And I said, oh, no, this setting a bad precedent. And uh, anyways, when it was all over and they had just, they had scoffed everything. And, and then he said, would you bring us the dessert menu? Now this, uh, my kids just weren't used to this type of lavish living, <laughs> you know. And we still have a picture sitting in that, uh, in that pizza hut there with, uh, you know, Ron, with the kids just thinking, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, yeah, I have so many stories. This shirt, um, about 25 years ago, Ron gave it to me. I was the same size as Ron time, and, um, he, uh, and he always, he was a shirt hound, wasn't he? 
And they're always good. They're Eddie Bauer and stuff. I'd buy this cheap and cheerful three for a fiver. And, um, but Ron, one time, I remember one day, their package came and there were about 15 shirts in, in that package. And uh, I still wear all those shirts. You can ask my wife. All my best shirts are Ron Carlson shirts. In fact, people recognize it in Dublin. That's a Ron shirt, isn't it? Uh, in, fact, in fact, I had lunch this week with Jerry Ward, a friend of mine, and he looked at me and he said, you're not the size of Ron anymore, are you? Because I had one of the shirts on and, and uh, the collar doesn't fit anymore. So anyway, but Ron was a real friend. He was the type of guy that really took care of you, you know? Uh, for instance, every um, year at Thanksgiving time, he would go to Hawaii to teach the YWAM teams, you see? And I'd say, Ron, look at, maybe it's, I should go with you, this, you know, Hawaii. And, and he always had me taking pictures, and he'd give, me, he'd give me a camera and say, now look, you go up behind over there, and then I want you up in the balcony, and I want a couple shots from over there. But it had a, a lens on it, like the Hubble space craft, and then ooh, I'd get the thing up. And, but Hawaii, he, he used, he'd call and say, Mickey, I'm going to Hawaii. And uh, I'd say, Ron, isn't it? Isn't time for me to go with you to Hawaii, you know? It's a real hardship tour. And uh, he'd say, Mick, look, I'd love to take you, but he said, you, um, you, I don't think you could handle it. Waikiki Beach, the things you see on Waikiki, you're too holy for this. <laughs> and then, and then he, and the sun. He said, you're used to Irish weather. And, um, and in Ireland, we all look like mayonnaise. And it, would, it was, you know, true. If we, you know, down on the beach one time in my speedos, and uh, <laughs> that that would have been it, wouldn't it? <laughs> anyway, so I'll see a good friend. He never let me go. But uh, I remember one time he called and said, "Mickey, you and I should go to Iran, in Israel." Kathleen and I worked in Iran for a couple of years. We got thrown out when uh, Shaw left and the Ayatollah came back, and. Uh, and uh, so he wanted to go over there and look for the 12th, the Mahdi, the 12th Imam of Shia Islam. <clears throat> so he called one day and said, I'm setting this thing up. He said, I lived in Israel, you lived in Iran. So let's go over there. I'll teach, uh, you know, go to Israel, I'll show you a few things. We'll go to Iran, you can show me a few things. And so it was all set up until he found out that when we got to Iran, we were going to have to have a tour guide 24-7. And they probably weren't going to let us go to the places we wanted to go. You know, and we thought, what fun is that? So, so that trip got ditched. But um, it's amazing to think that I'm here because of a friendship that began so many years ago. And uh, I've really appreciated the Carlson family. Um, I'd like for you to open your Bible to a very well-known passage. By the way, it's, it's very fitting that that little rose is up here for, for a little boy. Um, I don't want to steal his thunder, but... Um, I'm here because our daughter and her husband just had their first little baby girl a couple of weeks ago, and Kathleen came over for that. So that was number 16, grandkids, and uh, then I came over the day before yesterday because I stayed in Ireland because another son of ours had their first little, little baby, a little boy who was born a few days ago, so I got to stay for that and kind of help out. And, so that's 16 and 17, and we're still counting. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1. Let me pick it up in verse 4 and uh, read, then we'll just pray together. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, the Lord commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked the Lord, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And when they looked, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in the same manner as you have saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for an opportunity to worship you today. We thank you for the privilege of being your children. We pray that if anyone here today has not yet surrendered their life to you in repentance and faith, they may do so and enter into the joy that we, that we experience as your children. And Lord, we also have the privilege of serving you, and I just pray you'll remind us here today and you'll, you'll set a fire under us. And that because we've met here today, things will be different in the world as we go from here to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I just thank you for the involvement this church has around the globe as we've already prayed this morning. But I pray that this will be a stimulus for each and every one of us, Lord, to be your witness in this very, very needy world. And so we commit these few moments to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, I, I think it was very interesting that um, the Lord went up in their very sight and they stood there gobsmacked, as the Irish would say, just looking. Even Peter couldn't find words. And they looked and watched this absolutely amazing sight and into their amazement as well, two angels joined them and uh, said something like this. said, why do you stand looking into the sky? Does that sound a little bit like a mild rebuke? Well, kind of like when you have kids and you tell them what to do and they just stand looking at you. And you say, what don't you understand about the word go? You know, and I think, that, I think that what the Lord was saying, what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us here today, let me see if I can get this. Sometimes, if I make a mistake, it's because I'm spelling in Russian. Every once in a while I just slip into, let me see. See if you can read this. 
Now, I've contextualized it here. He said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? But of course, that doesn't fit today, so. Can you read that? Yeah, that's called ladder lettering. I'm always amazed that some people can't read it. They think I'm making black letters. And uh, they're standing, the wife always gets it first on the street, getting on the guy. Huh? <laughs> and, the, and all of a sudden, it, it's really amazing when people, oh, look what he said. And the wife is then, duh. Um, yeah, don't just sit there. I think, I think that, that kind of captures what those angels were trying to say, you know. Uh, we've got work to do. There are things to be done. The Lord Jesus had exemplified it. He had taught it. He had lived it. He had died. He had risen again. All that the world might be saved, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he passed the baton to us. And uh, he was saying, even in his last breath, don't just sit there. We've got work to do. Somehow I think the Lord has tied his coming to our faithful fulfillment. And this gospel shall be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. And so what do we learn from Scripture? What, what, what encourages us? And let me, let me just put a couple things up here that I think are imperative. Let me better strengthen this a little. First of all, I think the, the word has got is very clear. Can you read that word? My paint is the motive. The Lord gives us the motive of why we should get involved. And uh, we're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all called to be missionaries, but we are all called to be full-time Christians, aren't we? And so there's work to do for all of us. So I think, let me see here. One of the things that motivates us I'm not an artist. Oh, let me see. I gotta, here, I gotta give this guy an earring. There we go. And I gotta give him a George Michael stubble. There. Now, do you know what that is? That is a sinner. You can tell, look, he's got an earring. <laughs> he's got a fag hanging out of his mouth. You can tell he's a sinner. I think one of the things that motivates me the most is the fact that I'm involved so often with non-Christian people. I go down into the street several days a week. I preach, I always come home, you know, telling Kathleen stories of people I met and the desperate need that they've gotten themselves into because of their sin and rebellion. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He said when he looked upon the multitudes, he saw them with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Huh? What do you see when you look at the world? What do you see? What you see is gonna determine what you do. What you see is gonna determine what you live for. It's gonna frame your worldview. And I often pray, God, give me your eyes. Help me to see what you see. Help me to see the significant beyond the apparent. Help me to see the eternal more than the temporal. Because what I see is gonna determine how I invest my life. And how I see people is gonna determine how I relate to them and what I do for them. 
And so the, one of the things that motivates me is, is, is a world in need and knowing that I have something that I can give that can change their situation for time and eternity. The first thing Jesus said when he talked to his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. The last thing Jesus said just before his, uh, he rose from the dead, uh, he rose again, he said, you will receive power to be my witness. Every one of the gospels end with the Great Commission. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them end with the Great Commission. When the gospel writers were writing, they summarized what Jesus said to his disciples and the commission that he gave us. And so we're commanded to go. I'm motivated by that. It's not just anybody that, that, can, that can tell us what to do. But when the Lord Jesus Christ tells me what to do, I take that seriously. He said go into all the world. And he said for you to go as well. So he's commanded us. I'm convinced because of what I believe. I believe there's a real heaven, there's a real hell, and real people are gonna spend eternity in one of those places. I believe that it's possible to know God and walk in God's world, God's way, and not live like an orphan in a world bewildered. Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? I believe there are real answers to real questions where people can live in God's world, God's way. I'm convinced of those truths that they motivate me. I can't be silent. I've got to do something with that. I'm also concerned as I look, as I see, God, give me your eyes. So as I look at the world, I'm motivated. I've got something, I've got something to give. I've often come back, you know, to Kathleen, and, and I, I didn't want to go out that day. I've, I've been preaching on the same corner now for 25 years, on the same street for 31 years. I've been on, on the corner, and then I travel, and I have opportunity to go to other countries and, and preach and, in the open air. And, you know, sometimes I don't want to go. People say, oh, you're so bold. You love the lost. No, I don't love the lost. I love Jesus. You know, the lost are like me. They're iffy. <laughs> you know, I know, you know. But I go, and I come back, and even on my worst days, when, when I just felt I didn't want to go, I come back realizing that even in my lowest moment, I have something to give to people. The Lord Jesus. So I'm motivated by, by the need around me, but I'm also motivated now, don't try this at home, okay? What I'm gonna do next, let's see. Well, you see that? Now I have to stay up all night. There you go. I'm motivated by God's love. Uh, not my love for God. My love for God is fickle. You know, it goes up and down depending upon if I had a triple shot, you know, or, or whatever. But God's love for me is steady. He loves me unconditionally, and I'm motivated by that. And I think one of the things the devil tries to do is to get us to be able to say God loves you very easily, but not feel it, not sense it's for me. I think we have to preach the gospel to ourselves a dozen times for every time we go out to share it with anybody else because it is the most unique thing in the whole of the universe that the true and the living God loves me. He has set his affection on me. I am the apple of his eye. And everything that could have possibly interfered with that is on the cross. That is what the cross is about. I can remember talking to a young girl on the street. Her name was Laura. 
And um, we, we were talking on my corner. I said, Laura, I said, do you think God loves the whole world? She said, yeah, I do. I said, well, do you think he loves everybody in Ireland? And she agreed rapidly. She said, yes. I said, do you think everybody in, in, uh, here in Dublin today? Yes, she said. I said, what about the guys across the St- O'Connell Street over there? You think he loves all of those? She said, yes. And I said, Lord, does God love you? And she, you know, she just didn't have that same sense to just be able to, to say that. And I think sometimes that's the devil's greatest strategy, to make you feel like you're a second-class citizen. That when God looks at you, he's just kind of got his arms folded and thinking, would you ever get your act together? God loves you. You're special to him. You're special. That motivates me. I've got something to tell the world. God can love me. He can love the world. And then the second thing. Let me get this blue a little bluer. Here we are. The second thing, we've got the, we've got the motive We've also been given the, the message. What is the message that we have? You know, when I was in college, before I, became a, before I became a Christian, I began studying psychology, looking for some answers. And, and I had been through a number of problems and whatnot, and I thought, if I could just dig deep enough, there must be answers buried down inside. The answer was inside. So I studied psychology, but it didn't take very long for me to realize that, that the answer wasn't within me. I needed the answer from outside. And um, in December 1964, I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus. Um, and that's hard to believe, because I'm barely 38 years old. And, it's this, this new math that makes that happen, you see. Anyway, I, I've got a wonderful message for the whole world, but it begins, I'm going to put a word up here that can make 50 people disappear. I was preaching on a corner in Wales, Newport, Wales, a number of years ago, and I put the word that I'm going to put on the board here, and all of a sudden my, my crowd dispersed, and this little lady came up afterwards, and she, she, she had her shopping trolley, and she said, Mr., you're a magician. You just made 50 people disappear when I put this word on the board. You ready for this? You got that? Sin. Boy, we like to point the finger at other people, but the moment we think someone is accusing us or saying that we have wrong thoughts or words or actions or some of these things, now we just don't like that. But that's where the message begins. People have to understand where you are. You've offended God. You've offended God, things you think, say, and do. That's where the message begins, and there's no help for people who don't need help. So preach a message of of sin and repentance of sin. And and I, you know, I I, I don't foam at the mouth or flames come out my ears or anything, but but I I have no message. The gospel deals with the heart of man, and the heart of man is corrupt. And so as I stand on the preach on the street, and I preach about all manner of things, messages about the Titanic and all kinds of things, but they all come down to the issue of being separated from God through our sin and rebellion. But then the best part of my day for those who have stayed on my corner is to be able to tell them, look, if sin is really the issue, then there's really a solution.
and it's come to us through the person who's recognized by that symbol. Jesus come in, came into this world to deal with sin on my behalf. He came because of my sin. He came for me. He came to take my place. He was there instead of me. The Lord Jesus did all of that for me. But then he rose from the dead. I was in a little shop one day, a bookshop, and there was a guy leaning over, you know, the glass counter where the register was, and he sat there like this, looking in the... And I said, what you looking at, bud? He said, said look at that. He said, there, there, there's a little crucifix in there, but the bloke is gone. There's no bloke on the crucifix. You know what a bloke is? Yeah. There was, <laughs> he, 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 where did the man go? <laughs> there was no bloke on it. I said, well, that's the thing, buddy. The bloke rose again from the dead. You know? That's why we celebrate the resurrection. There's no bloke on the cross anymore. So I got to share with him a little bit. The bloke is gone. He died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. He's alive today as a living savior. And I get to tell people, look, if you'll surrender your life, Lord Jesus, allow him, allow him to come in. You'll pass from death to life. Your sin can be forgiven. You can know your heavenly Father and you can look forward to spending eternity with him. What a message. Life changing, huh? How much, how much time have I got? I've got one story. Can I throw out how much? I, oh, I got 10 minutes, okay. I was in um, Rio de Janeiro. The ship was late, late getting away. The pilot hadn't come. The captain said, okay, Mickey, you've got a few minutes, go ahead. So we went out to preach. At the end of the message, some people came forward. A young man came forward. I, I had an interrupter who was helping me with my Portuguese. And uh, I asked the guy, I said, why, why, um, why do you, um, why today? Why, did, why do you want to give your life to Lord today? He, and he told me this story. I'll breathe very, very quickly. He said, my father was an alcoholic, spent all his money on alcohol. He said, he said because of that, we never ate properly. Because of that, we never had curtains on the windows because of that he abused my mother because of that all of us kids dispersed to live with other relatives but he said one night walking home from work he was um he heard a street preacher and he gave his life to the lord that night and he said that night everything began to change and within a very short period of time there was food on the table he said there was curtains on the windows my mother didn't have bruises all us kids came to live Jesus. Jesus never used the word religion. You can't find him using the word religion once. He said, I've come that you might have life. Jesus gives life. That's our message. And then, then of course, if, if we're going to go, you know, we've got to have the the means to do it, don't we? You know, God pays for what he asks us to do. You know, he gives us everything we need in order to fulfill the commands he gives. Well, for one thing, what, what does he give us? When you mentioned Franklin Graham, I was thinking of Billy. You know, he gives us all his promises. I, re I remember Billy saying in an article I read, he said there's about 7,000 promises in God's word that stand there for us. 
you know, to know our God and what he can do, what he will do if we'll take those promises. I got thinking one day the difference between Billy and I is he believed those promises. You know, he believed them, and I hope we all do, because we're not going to do his will without his word. And then, and then he's also promised just what we, I hesitate to put this, but it just shows you what a bad artist I am, okay? That, that's a dove. <laughs> just trust me on this one, okay? That's a dove. You know, he said, you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you that you may be my witness. We argue like fury. Churches divide over the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But one thing is crystal clear, and that is that a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit is going to have a passion to witness to others about his Savior. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us. We don't go out alone. And then he's also promised us filthy lucre. You know, he said that he'll provide all that we need. No one's ever going to be able to say they weren't able to go because they didn't have enough to do it. God provides. He has a cattle on a thousand hills, and he'll slaughter a few if it means getting the gospel there. Um, when Kathleen and I lived in India, we lived in India and in Nepal for a couple of years, and um, there was a guy named David Householder, and when he spoke in the meeting, he had a little puppet. His name was Yeti. And so he'd pull his puppet out one night. He said, he said, Yeti, if you had $1,000, what would you do with that money tonight? Oh, Dave, he said, I'd want to give that $1,000 to the missionaries to go preach the gospel. And he smiled at the crowd. And Dave said, oh, Yeti, that's really good. That's good. Wow. He said, Yeti, what if you only had $500? Oh, Dave, even if I only had $500, I'd give it for the preaching of the gospel. That's great, Yeti. Yeti, what if you only had $2? Now, Dave, that's not fair. You know I've got $2. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I think it just underlined the fact that every little bit helps, you know, everything that goes into it. It's not what we don't have, it's what we have that can make the gospel go forth. Our lives, our means. And so we have, we have the motive. We have a wonderful life-changing message. God has promised us the means to do it. And then finally, finally, I've, I'll give you a hint on this. I've got, it starts with an M. Any idea what it might be? Okay. He's also got a method. What's God's method for reaching the world? What is it? In this age of technological brilliance and all of these things, what is God's preferred method? He said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So here's God's method. You say the church. I used to, you know, paint a little church here. But then I began to realize something.
There you go. That's God's method. People, you and me, we're the most powerful instrument that God has, a spirit-filled believer. You can reach into lives that nobody else can get to. He's positioned you in places that, that you're uniquely there to be his light, his witness. With all the technological advances we have, it still comes down to people reaching people. And so what did he say? We want to we wanna end where, where it all began. He said, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Where's our Jerusalem? Your Jerusalem is a network of people that you meet every day. They just come into your life. You don't have to go this way or that way. They're going to be there. Relatives, friends, neighbors, shopkeepers, colleagues, all kinds of. There's a church in Chicago we, used to, we went to for a short time. And as, you, as you turn to leave the sanctuary, right over the door, right there, this big sign said, you are now entering your Jerusalem. And so as they walked out the door, they were reminded, hey, right out there are the very people that the Lord has uniquely put you here for. And then he says, what was the next one, Judea? The Judeans, you have to do a little work to get to. You have to plan, you have to strategize, you have to, you know, you have to turn the television off, some of those hard things, you know, in order that you can have time and you can go to the next place. They don't come to you, we have to make the effort to go to them. And then, then you have the Samaritans, I always think of those as kind of the tough ones. You know, God has no favorites. He loves us all. And then he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and boop, the ends of the earth. This gospel shall be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. But the Lord is reminding us here today, each and every one of us, don't just sit there. We have work to do. And I hope in your own heart and mind to just take a moment and think, is, what is one extraordinary effort that I can make this week in order to get the gospel into somebody else's life? That'd be a good start, wouldn't it? Be a good start. Do you want to pray for us? Thank you, Mickey. Well, join me in a word of prayer, and we'll have our worship team come up for our final song. Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenge that Mickey's given us, Lord, the important reminder about our call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and, uh, and how that starts right here in our own community and in our own, in our own Jerusalem. God, I just pray that each of us might be uh, mindful, Lord, of the opportunities that are already in our lives, of the people in our lives who are just waiting to have somebody open the truth of the scripture to them. We're just waiting for somebody to speak a word of hope into their life, Lord. And uh, there's so many people out there who are living just day to day without any greater meaning or greater purpose, and, and they need the light of the gospel, Jesus. And so would we be inspired, God, by your Holy Spirit? May you embolden us, empower us, Lord, to, to have the courage to go out into our world and live for you and to speak the words that the, the world needs, the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for Mickey, God, and, and men and women like him who uh, help set the way, Lord, who, who lead the charge and help motivate your church. And Lord, I just pray that each of us would leave here inspired uh, as a result of Mickey's time with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.